So welcome to this very special series of Start Somewhere uh, for COP26, the climate emergency. And today I have somebody with me who I'm just in total awe of. She's kind of like my heroine and she's she's just extraordinary. And she's only 19 years old. Uh, and she is Dr. Maya Rose, Bird Girl Craig who is a 19-year-old British Bangladeshi student studying HSPS, which is Human, Social and Political Science at St. John's College, University of Cambridge. She's a birder, race and climate and environmental activist. She's also the founder and president of Black to Nature, which she founded at age 13, and author of We Have a Dream, which is an amazing book, which everyone has to read. Hi, Maya, how are you? Hello, thank you for having me on. Oh, it's so my pleasure. I, I just so wanted you to, 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 to be part of this. And as you know, I mean, I always ask, you know, how did you get started, you know, in life? You know, what were your early passions? I, I, I know you've always had a huge passion for birds, for wildlife. Uh, and it, yeah, tell us a little bit of, uh, about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you've summed it up really. For me, it's always been birds. I've always really loved, I had a very strong connection with um, nature and the outdoors because um, I came from a family of bird watchers. My parents were birds, my older sister was. And yeah, because of that, I always loved the outdoors, loved nature. And I think it because of that, it was very natural that as I got older and I became more aware of all the environmental issues that we were dealing with in the planet, that I wanted to do something about them, that I cared that these things were happening. Um, and I did care deeply from like quite a young age about all, all the different things we had going on. Yeah, and, and birds, of course, are, are, are very deeply affected mm. by, by what we're doing and, and are becoming increasingly rare. I mean, due to pesticides, the fact we're changing their habitats, all sorts of things. Maybe you'd like to, to talk to us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I did a really interesting series recently about how birds are sirens of environmental change and it was absolutely fascinating and you know birds and I suppose nature in general um, are very good at telling us when something is wrong um, and you know these species are also very delicate in terms of these environmental issues so um, you're right pesticides and things like that um, affect birds deeply but so does like sound or noise pollution and so does obviously climate change and biodiversity loss um and as with all these issues everything is so interlinked um it is a very delicate web of things linked together um and so as soon as one bad thing starts happening it's like this enormous environmental domino effect um mm -hmm. where everything starts to really struggle Yes, it's just tragic. I, I, I always had a passion for birds and particularly uh, birds of paradise. And, and, and one of my dreams one day, I think, is to go bird watching in, in the Amazon, you know, if that's possible, because, you know, as we know, it's been deforested at such a huge rate that I think so many of these species are being lost, which is tragic. So, Myros, when and how did you find your purpose? I know it was very early in life. You know, was there, was there a kind of moment or, or, or was it a series of moments for you? I think probably a series of moments in that. Um, so <laughs> I suppose to go back to the beginning, when I was 11, I started a blog. 
um, which was just the thing that you did on the internet at the time. Um, and, 11, yeah. <laughs> and I called it Bird Girl because I was a girl who liked birds. And it was supposed to just be a way to talk about, um, yeah, birds, nature, online. Um, but I think two things happened that I didn't expect. One that was that people started reading it um, in quite large numbers, which I was never planning on happening. Um, it was supposed to just be a little corner of the internet for me. And yeah, a lot. I started getting lots of views on it. And um, then secondly, I realised that I wasn't that interested in just talking about birds and nature, and especially because I had suddenly been presented with this platform to speak. Um, I wanted to do something with it. Um, and I wanted to talk about the issues that I cared about. And there were various various things that happened over the next couple of years where I was talking about uh, various different things that was going on. Um, but long story short, at quite a young age, I was given the really important lesson that um, you can make a difference no matter what you can make a difference um and it it matters um and I learned that I in particular you know could make things better and I think um it was really important I learned that when I was still quite young um, yeah and, and was that specifically from someone because I know your your mum's quite an activist you know was, was it from her or or, or or how did that come about was was there somebody that particularly kind of you saw them doing things and you, and you were like wow I, I you know I can do that too um I think like in my family in general has always been like very supportive both close and extended um but I think the really cool thing about my mum is she's always been very passionate about everything but I think we've sort of um followed that journey of becoming activists together almost simultaneously um yeah. which has been really interesting really exciting um, yeah so that's that's so cool and and you know how are you living your purpose now I mean you know we were talking about you know the fact you founded Black to Nature and also you've written this extraordinary book tell us a little bit more about about the movement and and the book which I'll link <laughs> yeah um so I guess in terms of what I'm up to now um for the past few years, I've been doing a lot of work with my charity, Black's Nature, like you said. I founded that when I, I, I started doing that work when I was 13. I founded the actual charity when I was 14. And um, yeah, it's all about working with kids from um, Black and Asian minority ethnic backgrounds. And I suppose giving them that opportunity to connect to nature in the way that I was able to yes. um, when I was a kid that was so important to me that so many kids just aren't able to do. Um, and it's really incredible work and a lot of it's very um, grassroots as well, which is very nice um, compared to, you know, some of the very big campaigning to actually be working with people, working with children face to face. Um, but And I've also been very involved in the climate change movement. Um, in particular, I'm a very, very big advocate for this concept of global climate justice, which is basically um, pushing for equity within um, the climate change movement, which takes itself in many forms. For me, I think um, platforming people from the global south, listening 
um, to the voices of Indigenous people is incredibly important in terms of propelling this movement forwards. Um, and in terms of that, I did write a book last year um, called We Have a Dream. And it was basically stemming from the fact that in the West, we were hearing from the same very small handful of white Western activists over and over again. And I knew that wasn't right because I knew that there were loads of other amazing activists out there. Um, they just weren't being platformed. And I decided I wanted to go out and to find them and give them this opportunity to amplify their voices. So I went out and I um, found 30 young activists of colour, young Indigenous activists, and collected them together in, into this book. And um, I think on like a personal level, this was a really exciting project just because um it felt really important firstly like so many of the people I talked to were so excited just to be heard just to be able to speak um but also I felt like I was constructing my own like global network of um youth activists which is really exciting and, and, and you're right. I mean, each and every one of them is just incredible and breathtaking in, 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 in what they've done. And, and I just so applaud you for doing that, because, as you said, you know, there's there's kind of that tokenization of, of white climate activists or there have been in the past. And I mean, we even saw, you know, Vanessa and the Carter being erased out of that photograph from Davos last year. And it, it seems to me that that, you know, that you know there's a refusal to understand that this is really is a global movement you know yeah. and actually yeah. very powerful one at that and and you know when when I you know speak to to young activists like I, I interviewed Nafisa Richardson from from St Vincent and the Grenadines I mean like the problems that they have faced and are facing are, are, are shocking I mean you know I mean you know hurricanes volcanoes you know Covid total lack of tourism and then to top it all off dengue fever and you're just like oh my god I mean that is humbling and that's what we need to hear um you know I'd love for you to expand on that and also just like you know why it's so important to have you know the voices of women and and you know underrepresented minorities kind of at COP at the decision making table being heard you know actually as part of the discussion yeah, I mean, I think I think representation is so important for so many different reasons. I think, firstly, um, it's basic. It should be an expectation, um, especially in, like you said, something as global as the climate change movement, because it is a global issue. Um, but I think also, um, I suppose, listening to people's experiences and um, listening to people from all different backgrounds, whether they are from the global south or they're indigenous, or I think is so important in terms of making the movement effective, making it actually work as well. Because um, I, yeah, I, I really believe that this is a movement that can't work unless we are universal and we are global and we do listen to everyone. Because um, when we're only focusing on the priorities of the West and Western activists. Um, that's not creating a global movement that can last, that will actually help. Yeah, I, 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 and you're so right. And, and I, 
I, I believe this so strongly that, that we all need to be, everybody needs representation at the table, not just to, to, do you mean, to actually be heard, but actually to be part of the decision-making, you know, process. Because, you know, that everyone has a perspective to, to, to contribute. And also just some real knowledge, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. just like some deep expertise. I mean, like there are extraordinary innovations coming out of the African continent where they've dealt with drought and stuff like that for years. You know, there, there are, you know, the, the, the teachings and knowledge of indigenous peoples are extraordinary, you know, and even, you know, just like here we are standing on, on I mean, the edge of the sixth mass extinction, which is being caused by us. And, and it's just like, we need to avert that. We, we need all the wisdom and, and, and knowledge that we can get. And, you know, we're, we're talk, you know, with indigenous people, I mean, they normally talk about, you know, looking at six or seven generations ahead. We're not even looking at the next generation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just find that extraordinary. And, and, you know, someone said to me, but this COP is all about money. And I was just like, well, Yes, however, you know, I think the global leaders are waking up to the fact that it's going to cost them more if they leave this, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, like, you know, we're talking like how, how, how island nations going underwater, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and cost of mass migration, and I just find that extraordinary. And also, I just feel that, you know, I mean, you know, do any of these leaders really want kind of the extinction of humanity and all living things on their hands? I'm, I'm not sure they do <laughs> when they really come down to it, you know? So what are you going to be doing at COP to, you know, to, to, to kind of have your voice heard? I suppose the thing for me about COP is, unfortunately, it's right in the middle of my university term where I'd be going up for the whole thing. Um, but I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm giving myself a few days instead. And I'm going to be really busy. I think... Um, COP's incredibly exciting, not just because of the actual event itself, but because of everything else around it going on. It's a few weeks where people can't seem to talk about anything but climate change, which is brilliant. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to be on panels. I'm going to be doing like some TV interview stuff. I'm sure um, anyone who's following it slightly will probably see me pop up at some point. Um, but I'm also going to be going to the protests and things like that as well. I think that um, protests are a really important, you know, expression of that democratic voice. Um, and I think reminding our leaders that we are there and we're watching is as important as anything else at this um, climate conference, you know. Um, Agreed. And, and if anybody wants to join you and take part in those protests, how, they, how do they do that? I mean, there's loads going on. Um, you can get involved via, um, you know, Youth Strikes for Climate or Extinction Rebellion, or quite honestly, you could probably just turn up in the city um, and you'll bump into one at some point. Um, but yeah, in general, I think it's, um, especially with these massive international things like this, it's very easy to feel very powerless and to feel like it is very distant. Um even if you are in the UK and it's literally happening in our country right now in Scotland. Um, but there are so many things you can do. Um, and some of them are really simple. Um, something I'm a very big advocate of is writing to your local MP. I send my MP letters 
all the time. Um, he must be absolutely sick of me. But I like to remind them that, you know, these are the issues that we care about and we're watching because um, that's what this is about. Every time reminding our politicians that we're watching and we're aware of what they're doing. Um, same with protests and things like that. I think it's brilliant. But to be honest, even just talking to people about COP, so many people still don't know that it's happening or don't really know what it is. And I think spreading the word that, you know, this, this event is happening and it's really important that, that we should care. Um, yeah, is is really helpful as well. Yeah, I, I and you know, thank you for that. And, and yeah, I mean, you started with with telling us how how people what people can do to start somewhere, which is so magnificent. But yeah, I mean, you know, some pundits are already saying, "Oh, well, nothing will happen at COP, and you know, it's nothing will move." But I think we have, you know, it's down to each and every one of us to make sure that that's not the case. And in a sense, those leaders need to see such an overwhelming kind of like support, you know, for, for doing something that they, they, they can't, can't, you know, can't refuse to, you know, somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I think also the thing with COP um, is like, and I suppose climate change in general, it's so easy to sort of give in to the doomism and feel like, you know, it's all hopeless. There's nothing we can do, things like that. But I... I really think that as soon as you've given into that, you know, very negative kind of mindset, climate change has essentially won already. You have to be optimistic about the future. You have to have a little bit of hope that things can get better or it's pointless. Um, I agree. And and also that you know, instead of they need to do something, you know, it is they, but also it's down to each and every one of us to, to start making those changes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Myra, how do people follow you if, if they want to find out more? Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, know, which your social media accounts are and how they can find your book? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can, I'm, I'm Bird Girl UK on everything online. You should probably check out my Twitter or my Instagram. Um, and if you're interested in my book, We Have a Dream, um, it's probably best to go onto my website, Bird Girl UK, and buy it, although you can buy it on most online book retailers. Yes, yes but go onto my Rose's website and, and, and that can be everyone's first action to buy it from her <laughs> website. <laughs> it's a very good way of starting somewhere. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I, I know you're not feeling very well, um, but you know, you always, you know, remarkably eloquent and, and thank you for having you, you know, joined us and for having your voice heard and thank you for your inspiration and, and you go. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This has been great. Um, and yeah, I guess for everyone listening, you, you can make change. You can make a difference. It's really important to remember that. Yeah, and thank you for the difference you're making. I mean, like really just extraordinary. Wow, isn't Maya Rose just kind of one of the most inspiring and incredible human beings you've, you've ever heard from. I mean, she's in her very, not even like in her 20s. And, you know, goodness, I, I hope she's going to be, you know, running Britain or or maybe the UN uh, in, in, in years to come because she, she truly is extraordinary. 
And tomorrow we have yet another just astonishing guest. He is Jesper Broden, who is the president and CEO of Inca Group, of which IKEA is a part. And I, I think he will be really stunned and amazed by this man's commitment to, to doing a new way of business. It, it, it's, it's breathtaking and so well worth a listen. Mm-hmm.